Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Jan Dawson. This is our question of the week episode. And as Aaron is traveling this week, I invited a guest onto the podcast. You may remember a couple of weeks ago in the context of talking about Samsung's Bixby Assistant, we talked very briefly about accessibility technology. And I mentioned a former colleague of mine whom I didn't name at the time, uh, but whose name was Chris Lewis, who is visually impaired, has... Uh, restrictions on his site and who uses a variety of technologies to help him both on computers and on his phone and he actually reached out following that episode a mutual friend of ours notified him that I had mentioned him on the podcast and so he reached out and offered to talk some more about this and I thought this was great timing since Aaron was away and that we could have a conversation about accessibility technology both as he uses it personally and also because he started talking about these kinds of technologies with some of his clients he's also an analyst as I am. And so uh, Chris and I had a conversation via Skype earlier. Um, the recording is of that Skype call, so the audio quality isn't quite what it usually is, but it's it's fine. You should still be able to understand uh, what both of us are saying perfectly fine. And uh, I think Chris had a set of very interesting insights about accessibility technology, both as he uses it, and obviously we should make clear that he's just one person who has a specific set of impairments that he has to work around, but uh, also had interesting insights about how uh, the smartphone in particular, with its uh, screen, its camera, its microphone, and, and a variety of other components has really transformed the way that accessibility technology works. And so hopefully you'll find the conversation interesting about the state of accessibility technology and how somebody with a visual impairment actually uses it on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and that will be this week's Question of the Week episode. Uh, I'm going to be recording our News Roundup episode separately shortly. Again, because Aaron's away, I'll be doing that one solo, so it should be a slightly different format, but hopefully still useful. Uh, and I'll be putting that up later today, Friday, uh, April 7th as well. So uh, enjoy the conversation, and we'll be with you again shortly. Thanks. It would be great to start with you just telling us a little bit about kind of who you are and what you do uh, and specifically about your visual impairment and, and what exactly that means. Yeah. Okay. So I, I've been working as a, as a telecoms analyst for over 30 years now, having also been, been registered blind all, all that time. And I guess the, the biggest change that I've seen is that in the early days when I would get articles photocopied and sent to me by, by colleagues or, or management. And I'd literally have to post those off to the Royal Institute for the Blind where they would record them and send them back to me, obviously about a, a week or so later. Wow. So not, not being able to read any, any print since I was 15 years old, apart from very wow. large print, which is just very difficult to, to consume anyway. And of course, you can, you can make the screens bigger and bigger and bigger, but actually you're getting less and less content to, to be able to sure. consume. So consuming through my eyes has been a non-starter for, for a long time. So this, I guess the, the first changes was when, when you started to get screen reader technology, which appeared, funnily enough, on the Apple, I think it was the Apple 2C, when I first used a, used a product called Outspoken, which is a, a screen reader, which would, would literally read out whatever was on the screen. And of course, the screen yeah. wasn't terribly complicated in those days. It was, so we're talking sort of, I guess, early 90s for that. Mm. And then gradually, as I guess as laptops developed, uh, and certainly as, as smartphones had developed, then built-in accessibility features mean that actually now, from having had very little access to any, to any content, um, I, I can now get access to pretty much everything. So the, the, there, are, there are a few gating factors in that, which is that the, the content uh, has to be labeled in the right way. So there are certain international standards. So, so G3 ICT is one of the international bodies, part of the ITU, that 
and that actually defines some of these standards. So you label categories. All the buttons should be labeled in a certain way. But what, mm. what essentially it means is that as long as there's a screen reader there built into the device or added as a third party, then I can turn that content into, into something which I can literally, you know, in quotes, read through my ears, you know. So. Right. So it, so it works, and, and, and I think that the difference today, and of course if, I, if I'm sitting in an analyst presentation like, like you or I would have done over many, many, many times, yeah. I, can't, I can't see the slides, but I'm listening very carefully to what people say. So I guess I, mm. I, guess I built a career out of listening rather, rather than reading in, in, a, in a way that an analyst would, would typically do that, so which, which I think is a, a fairly fundamental change. But, but now I think the, the mobility angle is what really um, changes things. So with a small mini Bluetooth keypad, which is the size of a small cigarette packet, that I, I can literally control my iPhone from that and have a Bluetooth earpiece. So while I'm walking down the street with my white cane out, hopefully navigating successfully around all the, the various um, distractions that, that are on the, on the pavement, then I, then I can actually literally li- listen to all my messages. I can, re- I can type back on that device. I can respond to things. I can fill in forms. I can pretty much join webinars. I, I can pretty much do anything that anyone with full sight will be able to do because I'm actually interacting with it through the Bluetooth keypad, picking up all the apps. And I guess the app split into two, two categories. So there's all the apps that, that you would use or that a regular fully sighted person would use so right. things, things like webex or go to meeting for getting for getting on getting online getting things things like email that's, that's all regular email and then there's a series of what we might call assistive technology apps specific to my my sight loss so you might you may have come across one called be my eyes or uh, one called blind square and be my eyes is i think a really clever combination because it it actually has a volunteer base of several hundred thousand people around the world and you take a picture, a live picture of something, and it polls and it finds someone who volunteers to tell you what that picture is or what that video mm. is. So to- totally free of charge, which is a, you know, in, in a, a fantastic to get that human element combined with the technology, which I think is really important because there's, there's a lot of OCR and AI type stuff in one called TapTapC, uh, which also actually takes pictures of things and recognizes things. So AI... In a sense, artificial intelligence, in a sense, is also bringing a lot more of this together, this processing power that might be out there in the cloud somewhere, and using that that mobile device as the as the fulcrum to bring it all together, to actually translate it into into whatever I I may need, literally through my ears. And of course, if someone has got more more sight, more useful sight than me, then magnification works very well on the devices. So they 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 look, people with more sight than me love the new the new larger format smartphones, whereas I've actually gone down to a, an Apple 5 SE because I don't need the screen. And actually right. I mean, I mean, it's got enough power in it. I don't need the real estate of a big screen to, to work with. But a lot of people with, with different levels of sight would certainly, uh, they're like the bigger, the 6 Plus and the 7 and so on. So yeah. that, that, that's, that's the game changer in my mind. Laptops aren't as good um, partly because Microsoft has never built the accessibility into the, into the, the laptop itself, they rely on third party. Right. Apple very early built what's called VoiceOver into the operating system. So in, anyone listening who's got an iPhone will go into go into settings, general accessibility, and you can switch VoiceOver on in there very very simply. Yeah. And then I have the the Apple button, the home button, triple click is my switch that VoiceOver on or off. If if someone if I want to hand it over to my to my wife or someone else to to help me do stuff. So it's so it's it's built in from 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 scratch. I think that's and that's why the apps tend to work better on the, on the phone than than they do on the laptop, where the, where you work with a third party who spend a lot of their time trying to keep up with with whatever you know Windows has been developing or so on. 
So that Bluetooth keypad that you have, is that a full keyboard or is that working some other way? No, it's not full. No, so it's uh, effectively it's it's uh, it's slightly regressive. So I, I you, you can use it in a in a mini qwerty or in an old T9 key format. So actually, yeah. since I since I learned to text type on a good old Nokia C5, which is my first phone that that had text speech for me, then I I use it in that text. So, so imagine imagine you've got a a, a classic you know three by four. A classic T9 shape in the middle, and then four right. control keys down either side. Mm. So it's a, it's a very very simple. It takes a bit of getting used to, but actually the benefit are enormous because it, you know, I can control things, I can play things, I can answer calls through that. And it's uh, it's made by a Korean company that, that some guys who wanted to just do do something more accessible. Mm. And it, it certainly it, so yes, I, I can type on that, but it, it's relatively slow, but it's a lot quicker than than using the on the on screen keyboard that that Apple has because you've got to find the letter, double tap it, and then move to the next letter, double tap it. Although okay. of course dictation actually dictation works really well. So th- this is where I think some of the, the things have come together really really well, in that we're using camera technology off the phones, we're using the, the microphone technology off the phones uh, in o- in order to, to allow people to access things and consume things the way they want to consume them. You know, so if I want to listen to something, or, uh, or you know, deaf, deaf people use a, a lot of uh, text or even real-time text to talk to each other. They also use on, online signing services. So you know, the, the lack of availability of people who, who do sign language, we can now access those people. Actually, you know, by having them online on the service rather than having them in the room, right. which is just you know, I, I guess like many things around the, di- the digital economy, it's actually allocating. You know, the resources where they're needed rather, rather than the scarcity of resource that we had in the past. So do you use voice? That was going to be one of my next questions was, do you use voice dictation software and how effective do you find that? Is it more frustrating than useful? No, I, it has got much better. I don't use it on my laptop because one of the first things I was ever taught at the blind school was how to touch type. So I, I very early on started to type and I think I can almost type as quickly as you can, Jan, you know, so having, mm. having, having heard you type in there. <laughs> in, in rooms next to me at various, various times in our careers. But uh, what I, t- I tend to use the dictation function on the iPhone, um, mainly for personal stuff, because you're never quite sure what it looks like physically, you know, with, a, with yeah. homophones phones and the like. You, you, it might be the wrong word that it actually picks up. So, so I tend to use it for personal stuff, not for work. But uh, so I'll, I'll wait until I'm on, the, on a proper keyboard to type a long thing. But, but generally, yeah, I mean, generally the, the quality of dictation, and I think that whole Alexa, the, the Alexa sort of home automation phenomenon of using Amazon Echo and the like, just shows how far we've come with, with, with that voice recognition, which is, which is funny because my, my original degree was in computational linguistics when we were trying to help the uh, people translate from French to German, German to English, and we talked about having an automated voice recognition front end, but we were so far away from it. Right. Whereas, whereas now that this, this is all coming together, and it's all, you know, the whole, the whole artificial intelligence, machine learning really combines because it, you know, if if the if the system knows that I can't see very well, then because then then it should in theory deliver stuff in a way that I want to consume it. Right. Which is actually no different to you putting your preferences up. You know, if you'd you'd rather receive a text message or you'd rather be called on a certain number, mm-hmm. or you'd rather or you'd rather be on a video call. So I, I think. If if we can if we can begin to build assistive technology and accessibility in from scratch on all applications, then it gives everybody the choice to do it. So if you want to talk to your television and tell it to change the channel in the future, then you can do that. Just a quick note, we had a brief glitch in our audio recording at this point, so you'll note that the subject matter may 
shift somewhat abruptly from that last little clip to the next clip that I'll play for you. So yes, I have typed, luckily, and I type very quickly and, and relatively accurately. So input is input is one thing, um, but of course, if someone who someone who doesn't have ha doesn't have hands, then obviously this is the sort of thing will will help them dramatically in Absolutely. terms of input. So the, there's an input issue, there's an output issue, and then there's this there's the way in which the app, apps are actually designed and and, and set up to allow yeah. different different channels in and out, and and I think that's where. Just the possible. Um, I mentioned the the signing issue. You know, the fact you can use sign language as a remote service is just fantastic. It's, it's it saves on those on those uh, sort of rare resources and, and the like. Yeah. No, it was interesting. I was in an airport yesterday, and we were waiting to board a flight, and uh, there were these three uh, hearing impaired kids, sort of teenagers, in front of us who were traveling together, um, and uh, they were you know having full conversations, obviously between themselves there in the airport, but um, from time to time they'd also hop on the phone, and they were using FaceTime. They all had iPhones using FaceTime to communicate with friends elsewhere as well and obviously signing through FaceTime, which, you know, a few years back obviously would not have been possible. So it's amazing how, as you say, sort of these mobile devices with all the different features that they have just enable forms of communication and other things that we simply didn't have before. Well, I was, I was at a, I was at a uh, disabled cross-country ski event last week up in Norway, and I think most of the people in my sort of vision impaired group had iPhones. And we just set up a WhatsApp group and started pinging messages around all the time about who was going where and which which runs were good, which runs were bad, what the conditions were like, and so on. Yeah, which of course you'd never been able to do uh, with a with with a regular device like in the, in the past. So yeah, it, it has yeah. Come on, it's come on leaps and bounds. Yeah. So we've mentioned iPhones specifically a couple of times. It sounds like you do use an iPhone, and and some other people that you just mentioned do as well. Have you tried accessibility features on other devices? Have you found those useful? I mean, you mentioned when we were emailing the other day that you had a friend who was saying that the Samsung technology was getting pretty good, but have you had much experience with that yourself? I, I haven't, and, and, I, and, I, and I'll explain why in a second, but um, you, well, no, I'll explain now. So uh, the fact that I'm using two different technologies for a laptop and an iPhone, it's, it's like learning a different language. Mm. And so to, to try uh, the Samsung device, specifically with TalkBack, which um, uh, Steve Nutt, a friend who he does a lot of work, he's, he's registered blind. He does a lot of work assisting other people with their with their technology. He assures me that that is getting closer and closer to the, to the iPhone accessibility. So I, I have no reason to doubt him at all. But, right. but but I say, but it is like learning another language. Interestingly, I I tried to learn another screen reader for my laptop called Jaws, which is the most common uh, laptop screen reader, uh, because at one company I worked at, we had to use Lotus Notes. And it was mm. a disaster. I could just could not come to grips with it. And interestingly, right. I tried to use VoiceOver on an Apple laptop, uh, which is a, a whole series of key commands, and I could not come to terms with that either. Mm. So it's a really interesting, really interesting sort of uh, barrier to adopting. So the, that's also, I guess, where, from my point of view, touch, specifically on the smartphone with touchscreen, and I, I have touchscreen on my uh, Lenovo laptop as well, that helps a great deal. So the fact that the Apple laptops I've tried didn't have touch is a real negative. Because Interesting. To, okay. to learn a whole new series of, of key commands, it's just, you know, the, the brain will only cope with so many. And I think, you know, obviously we don't like learning new things if we don't have to. And that's why mm. I stuck with it. But no, apparently um, TalkBack um, has it and some of the um, the latest Google devices, which you'll know, which I, I don't know the names of, they are, because of it being native and built in, it's, it's, it's getting closer. Right, and those Pixel devices that they launched recently. That's, I guess. The one, that's exactly the one that, that was mentioned to me as being as being particularly good. So yeah, right. so the, it, it is getting better. 
and I think the awareness of it is is good. The the standardisation. Um, in fact, there's an interesting development. On I was recently at the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, and I said to the GSMA, "Why isn't there an app that will help me navigate around this enormous series of eight massive halls accurately?" Mm. And they just didn't have it. But actually, there's a, a G3 ICT event in Washington coming up in June, which is this this international standards body. And they are actually using a, a thing called Wayfinder, which is an iBeacon technology which has been developed, or an iBeacon standard rather, which has been developed here in the UK. And they started on the London Underground with a couple of stations where they're dotting these beacons around and it's feeding information to people to help you navigate when you get onto the platform, you know, where the, which, which train's going where, but of course, if you're transferring between trains and so on. So there's that idea that, yes, we've got these much smarter devices which can communicate with me in the way that I want to communicate, be communicated with. But then around it, if you think of it as a smart house, smart city sort of environment, we're going to get we're going to get so much more information feeding in as well, which is consumable by those devices, which can be which can be fed to the people, whatever their disability as well. So, the example I often think about is if someone's in a wheelchair and they're going to a meeting in a in a town hall, then you know, the, informa- the, the the information will be such that it will tell them a where they could park, b which door they could go to in a wheelchair, and then the door should open automatically because it would recognise them and get them to the meeting. So that sounds relatively straightforward, but actually there's a lot of, of technology built into that in, in terms of making sure that the databases are up to date and the, the, the knowledge is there of what the, what the different roads are like, what the, what the, what the, the corridors are like, and, uh, and, and wheelchair access and the like. So I'm, very, I, I'm actually rather, getting rather enthusiastic about the whole notion of smart cities, as long as, once again, we think about building in accessibility and assistive technology from scratch into into the into the applications when we start rather than trying to develop something afterwards which is usually a bit of an ugly an ugly bolt on afterwards yeah yeah so i we've talked largely so far about kind of your own use we've just started talking about the potential for other stuff as well it sounds like from our previous conversations that you've started doing more work in this area as well as an analyst kind of helping companies work through some of this stuff could you talk a little bit about some of that yeah sure so i i got involved through through both through the GSMA uh, and with actually with Telefonica, the, the Spanish operator, who had an interest in, in some of the assistive stuff, and actually went off. and There's, there's a couple of reports that I wrote looking at the disability. Try, first of all, trying to size the market because as an analyst, you <clears throat> you'd always try and size the market. So the numbers are actually quite compelling. There's something like a billion people in the world with some form of disability, which is staggering because wow, one yeah. in seven have some form of disability. Now, hearing impaired is the largest category, then sight impaired, and then it drops down to physically and cognitive and the like. But but actually, it took quite a lot of digging to get anywhere near those numbers because there's no consistent information produced around the world. So that's based on many different sort of UN and, and, uh, and different statistics. Mm. Now, and as ever, we try and turn that into spending power, and, and spending power is some. It looks like something about a four trillion dollar spend for that for that for that wow. group, which is an enormous amount. And of course, it it also impacts a lot of people because it's not just about the the disabled people. It's there, but it's it's about people looking after them. It's about the depend their dependents and so on. So it does it does tend to t- to touch rather a lot. So I looked at that, and so I've got I've got those statistics which are, which I've built up uh, in, in, into a, into a database looking at it, and then I've, it's subsequently been trying to map onto that the sort of technology. Uh, obviously, we talk about smartphones being at the, at the core of it the sort of technology that, that is used, useful for everybody. And then, of course, I guess in the last wave of development, we talk about IoT and wearables. There's, there's enormous potential now for, for wearable technology to complement you know, dif- different sensors. 
Uh, the obvious example is we can now 3D print a hand for for about two thousand dollars. You know, we can build exoskeleton legs for probably ten, twenty thousand dollars. So it did occur to me, looking back at the old six million dollar man back in the nineteen seventies, <laughs> that actually had six million with with inflation today would be probably up near a billion or something. But actually, we can probably do that for about a hundred thousand dollars today. Right, which is which is fantastic because it's not, it's it's no longer that you know very highly trained exp, exp, expensive um, astronaut that we want to say, but actually we can we can pretty much help everybody, obviously right. with the right level of insurance. So I think that that notion of being able to to use technology, the miniaturization and the commoditization, so it's cheap, relatively cheap technology, but you they say using this sort of smartphone as the hub of it, but it also sort of extends from there into healthcare because you look at disability and you talk to many of the, the technology providers about it and they and they say, well, you know, that sort of fits into their corporate social responsibility. And it's, mm. it seems to be it seems to be a bit of a tick box issue and they'll so they'll do that and then uh, and, and not think a lot more of it afterwards. Uh, whereas actually I've begun to look at it much more in thinking about disability as part of the healthcare continuum. And if you think about that then as you go into the healthcare system with whether you've got an illness or a disability, you know the way you, the way you're looked after and treated, and then looked after once you come out of the system at the other end. You know, there's so many ways that we can improve the the the, the way in which people get get treated, and the awareness the awareness of te- the technology to help people, and the awareness of the of the, the different people working with you at different stages of the medical process. Actually, I think it is. I'm quite encouraged by what by what I'm seeing on that on that front, all, all the way down to. I mean, my favourite example is. I think it's um, one of these sensor patches that potentially can actually detect when an att- when a Parkinson's attack is going to come on, mm. and actually that information could be fed, of course, to the person themselves, or to the carer, or into the medical system. So, it, if if you want to, if you ever want to think about big data, there's some massive potential in the future about how many information flows come off us as individuals. And where that information goes, whether it's say whether it's going to back to you to warn you that something's going to happen, or whether it's going to go to your carer or to your doctor or to the state or to any, any number of, of things like that, because we will increasingly have sensors on us. You know, not just you know, obviously you know, Fitbit is the obvious example that everyone talks about in the, right. in the in the short term, which is which is encouraging certain behaviour. But I can see many applications for disabled, stroke, you know, different, different health different health conditions as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, two other kind of you mentioned wearables just there, and the, the Apple Watch was one thing I wanted to ask you about. Whether you'd use one of those, whether that's um, something that you've heard people talk about as sort of an, an assistive technology as well. And the other one is iPads. I mean, you mentioned earlier this kind of disconnect between your iPhone voiceover stuff and then uh, the software that you use on your laptop, and and that the Mac wasn't sort of a seamless transition either. Uh, the iPad obviously runs iOS, so in theory that should operate very much the same way. And of course, Apple's trying to sell this vision of kind of the iPad as a potential PC replacement when used with a keyboard. So I'd be curious to hear your take on whether you've used either the Apple Watch or the iPad and how those have worked for you. So the the iPad iPad works exactly the same. So there's no no difference at all. I I don't particularly use it. I actually don't own one, so I do occasionally borrow borrow my wife's mm-hmm. or one of the kids' ones. Uh, but actually, since I don't need to see anything on there, and I, and I can't really watch films on there, so it's I, I I just don't use it. I don't need I don't need that size screen. So my right. my five SE does everything for me that I need from that point of view. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, the Apple Watch is a, is an inter, is an interesting one because I I was actually given one 
And you know, I've never taken it out of the box. <laughs> and uh, and I because and I think partly because of the, the the sort of system I've developed with my Bluetooth earpiece with my little Revo keyboard. I'm not sh- apart from haptic feedback, which you know, which I I do think that there is some value in that in terms of it it buzzing me when I'm doing doing certain things. And mm. I can see the value in that. I'm not sure I need a, a full blown phone to do that, a, a smartwatch sorry to do that. Um, I do like this idea. I actually use a, a Bradley timepiece, which is a, a specially designed watch, which um, has just a couple of ball bearings on it. One, one on, the, on the front is a ball bearing going around in a groove, which gives you the minutes. And there's a second ball bearing goes around an outside groove, which gives you the hours. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. bit of design. So actually time-wise, I don't need it. But I, do, I can well imagine in the future having a strap on that, which would give me some haptic feedback and which would also have certain sensors in it. So I think this sort of hybrid, hybrid smart smart strap rather than smart watch, I right. see. But but then uh, obviously, obviously every time I, I sit down with other uh, visually impaired or disabled people, like I did last week in Norway, then I have I was with colleagues there who are using Apple watches and who do like them, because of course they they do uh, apart from the haptic feedback, they will also talk to you. the voiceover does work in a slightly more limited way on the uh, on on the watch, but of course if if you're visually impaired then it's going to speak out loud. So do you really want all your messages mm-hmm. spoken out loud? Right. right. You know, which either drives people mad or, of course, you've got a privacy issue if, if you've got a, a sensitive message coming through at any time. Right. right. So I don't, but, but actually, to, and, and to go back to your comment about the iPad, I, I also have a, a universal keyboard, a Microsoft universal keyboard, which is a full QWERTY, which sort of is, um, I guess, it's a reasonable size, not the size of the full, Actually, it's about the size of the... Of the, of the the Apple keyboard you use for on on a Mac and so on, mm-hmm. and that folds away, lasts forever, and it's could be that is Android, uh, Windows or iOS. There's a little click click switch on it, so I I have at times used that uh, in conjunction with my iPhone. Uh, it's not fully compatible, so I still have to do things on the screen of the mm-hmm. of the iPhone to open up a notes page so I can type. Uh, but actually, in reality, I, I carry my laptop most places. If I'm going to meetings, I'll carry my laptop because it's e- easier to type on a, on a full keyboard like that. Right. Or is there anything else that we haven't talked about? Anything else around all these technologies that's interesting, or, or other work that you've been doing that you think we should talk about? Well, I think I think the other thing, which is so not so much from a work point of view, but a bit more, but actually partly work, partly social, is I think that the rise in audio books. You know, from from when I was mm-hmm. a from when I was a uh, a young, a young um, budding analyst, and I'd, I'd tr- go along on long haul trips. I, my my hand luggage would be full Stop of cassettes. Stop recording button. Request for continuing right. Right. on Rapid C. <laughs> um, because you know, I would I would just then I'm going to back on because my my software just pinged at me again. So, mm-hmm. bum, bum, bum. continue recording. Continue recording. Right. So yeah, the, the, so the other, the other area, which is a slight, somewhat social, somewhat business, is the whole area of audio books. Because in in the early days, when travelling long haul, I would take a whole bag of cassettes, you know, to to keep me to keep me with fueled with uh, with information, either work stuff or or listening to audio books. But now, of course, they're available. I use Audible.co.uk as a uh, as as a source for audio books, and just and most things appear on audio now. It's fantastic. So I think that that notion that content is uh, something which in the old days was something a very limited market, and I, th- I think audio books have become a very mainstream market now. You know, they're available. They get they get 
published the same time that the actual book gets published. It's a good example where content is now available to be consumed in the format that people want to consume them in. Right. Right. So it's it's, it's gone away from the from the physical. Uh, interestingly, you can get uh, Kindle will actually read a book out to you in a sort of Stephen Hawking type electronic voice. Mm-hmm. Pers- personally, I spend all day listening to computer voices like that. Right. Right. All my email and stuff. So I I quite like a human voice reading me whatever whatever the latest novel is, and and I and yeah, I tend yeah. to use audio books for pleasure. Right. Right. So, but I I, th- I think the in, in sort of one sort of summary perspective to think of is that. All the conditions I, I mentioned, you know, for all the billion people with different disabilities, there are so many gradations of, of you know, of sight condition, of hearing condition, of physical impairment, of cognitive uh, impairment, that it's, it's it, the adaptability of, of, the, of the smart devices is just so great. You know, it, it's become the real workhorse to, to get everybody accessible into all the, the digital content. And with the, with the arrival of, of IoT wearables, with the assuming that we develop smart cities in a way that makes sense and we don't just develop isolated services within cities and we make things work together then i'm i'm very positive about about the the potential for inclusivity in the future yeah no that's great fantastic well thank you chris um if people want to talk to you if anybody wants to um use your analyst services or anything else what's the best way for them to reach you well, luckily, email gets read out to me, so it's chris at lewisinsight.com, so C-H-R-A-S at L-E-W-I-S-I-N-S-I-G-H-T dot com. Uh, you can pretty much find me through that. It's usually the best way. It tends not to ping like WhatsApp and all the other things. Which I'm, and you can also see, in fact, the reports I mentioned are both available on my uh, on my website, which is, um, which is lewisinsight.com, www.lewisinsight.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Chris. That's been been great. And I appreciate you sharing your insights and experiences. Pleasure. That's the end of the episode. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again to Chris for being part of this as well. Really appreciate him sharing his experiences and insights. And again, the other episode for this week, the News Roundup, should be up shortly. Thanks.